Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My name is Sophie Collins, and I am a mother and entrepreneur, and I am obsessed with feeling my best. This show is going to cover everything from work to wellness to motherhood and what it looks like to encompass all of those things into your life. I hope you enjoy. I am so honored to be bringing you this conversation with my therapist, meditation teacher, and overall life guru, Dr. Michelle Cambolis. Michelle is an acclaimed author and speaker. She's been featured on Good Morning America, HuffPost Live, Goop, and Raw Beauty Talks. She holds a PhD in mind-body medicine and is a clinical counselor and has been practicing for more than 20 years. Her evidence-based resources will set you on a path of self-healing, inner wisdom, and profound mind-body connection. Her first book, Generation Stressed, Play-Based Tools to Help Your Child Overcome Anxiety, was widely praised by readers and critics alike. She lives and works in Vancouver, Canada, and her latest book is When Women Rise. It's a timely, transformative, and inspiring guide for women who want to bring more joy, power, and peace into their lives. Today, we are covering a lot of topics, but most importantly, something that has come up time and time again when I've asked what you all want covered on the podcast, which is postpartum depression and anxiety, as well as postnatal health. We're really diving into meditation and what our personal meditation journeys have looked like. We're talking about self-care fatigue, parenting, managing stress and anxiety, rest, and I just think this is such an important conversation and I hope you get a lot out of it. So excited to welcome you, Dr. Michelle Cambolis, my therapist, my guru, my meditation teacher, so many things that you have guided me through in my life and Out of all the guests that I'm having on the show, I think today is my most grateful moment because of all of the work we've done together and the gifts that I know you have. And I'm just so excited and honored to share them with my audience. So thank you for being here. Well, so much my pleasure. And talk about coming full circle. This is your first time recording in studio. It is. Not yours, I know. You're you're a seasoned <laughs> vet when it comes to interviews and recording in person. So Well, it's so intimate and allows for us to really, you know, connect in a way where we can go really deep into the conversation. And um so thank you for having me here and thank you for the kind words. And it is my honor to work with you in any capacity that serves. And I really look forward to your com- your questions in this conversation. You sent me a little overview of some of the areas that we're going to be digging into, and, um, and it's rich. It is. And I, of course, knew I wanted to have you on the show at some point. But one of the main reasons that I really wanted to bring you on was because A lot of the questions I've received about motherhood and my journey with motherhood and parenting and anxiety, so many women, I think, want to know more about postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And that's obviously a huge topic. So I want to dive into that with you at some point today. But before we do that, 
I would love for you to just share a little bit more about your background. Obviously, I know all about you. You're an incredible author, speaker, meditation teacher, clinical therapist. But if you can just give everyone a little bit of your background, I think that would be great. Sure. Uh, Well, I'm to start, I'm a mother of two. I have a 19-year-old and a 24-year-old. So they're, they're big guys now and well on their way. And so that allows me to enter into this new phase of life where I have more bandwidth to support moms. And so there's a lot of joy in that and having more room and and space to be able to serve in that way because I know the difficulties intimately well. I know the challenges and it's so critical that we are able to support one another and come together you know, this is something that we really fail at in Western culture. We, when we look at developing countries, they do a much better job at supporting mothers. So that's a really big part of my passion and interest. And uh, I've been a clinician for 25 years now. And wow. I started working with really young kids doing play therapy. And uh, so that was my first therapeutic love. And I wrote a book called Generation Stressed because the number of children walking through my clinic door with debilitating anxiety was increasing exponentially. And not only that, the level of severity was increasing. And so I thought it was important to write a book to address that and arm parents and caregivers with tools to be able to help our children who are really suffering From there, it felt important to write a book for women Mm. because when we heal, we change the soul of the family. So my most recent book was When Women Rise, Everyday Practices to Heal Your Mind, Body, and Soul. It's one of my favorite books of all time. I gift it all the time. And not only does it share such incredible stories and anecdotes, but also really tangible takeaways and ways to incorporate these practices into your life. And it's just such a beautiful book. I'm I'm so glad. And that was certainly the intention of it. I wrote it during COVID. And I really wanted to make sure that everyone had access to the kinds of therapeutic practices and tools that... I work with every day with with the clients at my clinic. So there's a great inequity in terms of accessibility to therapy and practices that incorporate the whole being, mm-hmm. mind, body, and soul. Part of my journey was going back to school in my early 40s because I was finding that the traditional approaches to therapy just weren't hitting the mark in terms of supporting clients towards their highest well-being. So we were missing big pieces around lifestyle and nutrition Mm -hmm. and movement and social connection and support and our relationship with nature and mindfulness practices. And and so I went back to do a PhD in mind-body medicine, and that's really changed the direction of the work a great deal. And the impact is really heartening. And I think we need to talk about this more Mm -hmm. because when it comes to addressing mental health, we still root in a Western model that is mainly Mm prescription-based, medication-based. But yet when we begin to 
shift our everyday practices, our relationship with our life as it is, as it is right now, from the minute we wake up in the morning to the minute we lay our head at rest on our pillow, there's so much healing that can happen in between. I think that's one of the main things that I've learned from you is being with what is. And you've helped me through, and I've shared this on the podcast and you know on my blog before, but the ways in which you've helped me heal through the traumatic experiences that I've been through in the last few years, mostly to do with my son being in the hospital and getting surgery, is just really tuning into the feelings that you're having and being okay with being sad, being angry, and allowing yourself to sit in it. I think over the last five or 10 years, I've really gone on this journey of resisting what's coming up versus sitting in it and allowing my body and mind and soul to process it. Because if you don't, I think so many things can happen in your body and soul and mind later on in life. And the ability to just sit with those feelings and be okay with where things are at, even if they're hard, has been such a gift. And it's been such a tool that I've I've learned from you among a million other things. And to watch you move through that process and learn to be present with what is, even when you're facing terrifying situations, is really beautiful to see because if you can just stay if you can just stay then you can resource then you can care for yourself then you can tune into what the body and mind needs in that moment Mm -hmm. to be self-supporting and resourcing so that's a big part of what it means to learn to be in our humanness in a way where we're open to all of it Yes. I mean, and I think too, realizing that the joys and the highs of life don't feel as sweet when that's all you're feeling. And I remember, you know, being in the hospital and having the utmost fear, the most fear I've ever experienced in my entire life, while at the same time feeling ecstatic joy and realizing that those two emotions and parts of yourself can coexist. And it really does open you up to the human experience and what we are here to experience and the blessings that we have to be able to experience this range of emotion. I had a lot of people write in about what therapy looks like. I think, as you said, there aren't a lot of options for therapy across the board when it comes to financial feasibility. And I think that's another reason your book is so great, because it does give you those tools that you might be able to implement into your life without actually working one-on-one with someone like you. But for people who are curious about therapy, what does the first session look like? How do you bring patients into your world? Oh, I love that question. (laughs) What does therapy look like? The initial session is very different than the sessions that come afterwards in that it's a discovery. Mm -hmm. And the clinician often has a lot of questions Because the more they know about you and your life, the better equipped they'll be at being able to develop a plan that's really going to be aligned with the goals that you're coming with. You might at times come to therapy and have a general idea of what you're looking for, 
but those initial sessions really shape out the intentions of the work. And with all of the information that you share, your background, your family history, your medical history, the symptoms that you're facing currently, and the goals for your process, the vision that you have, then the clinician starts to bring in approaches that hopefully, if they're a really skilled clinician, are Mm evidence-based. That's number one. So we need to know. And therapy is a science. Mm -hmm. So we have to rest into science as we're making decisions along the way. How I would approach depression is very different than how I would approach obsessive compulsive disorder or relationship problems or uh, panic attacks. And so we want to draw on what we know scientifically to be valid and reliable because you want to be effective. And when you're suffering, the most important thing is to begin to feel safe in the body. Mm -hmm. So many of the first sessions are really focused on resourcing and supporting the nervous system and building in the tools and practices to just be present mm-hmm. to the feelings, the thoughts, the physical sensations. And how do you do that in the first session? Is it through breath work? Is it through hands-on body? I mean, I know how we did it, but do you have a specific approach or is it different for every person that walks in your door? I start by working very somatically because most of us are walking around with some impact of trauma. And the latest estimates are approximately 70% of us have had significant trauma. Wow. So my goal is for the client to just feel safe in my presence. And many of us also struggle with attachment and trust. So if I can show up as present as I possibly can be and wholeheartedly turn my heart, my mind, my fullest attention towards my client's needs, then we begin to synchronize our nervous systems. Mm -hmm. So the therapist really has to look after themselves. A hundred percent. We're matching each other all the time. We have mirror neurons. And so you're feeling me as much as I'm feeling you. How do you take care of yourself based on everything that you're dealing with all day and the trauma that you're hearing about and helping people work through things? I mean, there must be such a weight that I would imagine on your shoulders from listening to people all day long. Like, how do you step away from that and take care of yourself? Well, that's such a great question. I think the longer you're in practice, the more skillful you become at caring for yourself, not only during the session, but outside of sessions and clearing afterwards. And I have my own rituals and processes for for letting go. And so much depends on what's happening in your personal life, to be totally honest. Mm -hmm. There's transference and countertransference happening all the time. So certain clients will light up my own stuff, in which case I take responsibility for that. I have people that I work with Um, More recently, my self-care team is like an army because I've gone (laughs) through some shit (laughs) this last year. And so to practice responsibly, I know that that's really important. And as much as I am growing and learning and experiencing um, my own difficulties at different times in my life, 
that adds to the richness of what I'm able to bring as a therapist. I can only imagine. I mean, I know that you've had a very challenging year that you've shared publicly, but speaking to self-care and the work and the healing and all of these things that people who are in this work do and things that you have guided me through. I know for myself, sometimes I get to a point where I'm like, I don't want to do the work. I don't want to heal. I just want to have fun and enjoy life. And I find when I do go down that path and, you know, slow down my meditation practice, take less care of myself, I'm kind of reverted back to this path of self-care and focusing on myself and healing. Do you ever get to a point where you're like, this is too much and I just want to live day to day? Or do you feel like you're so deeply in it now with the practices that you've rooted into your body and spirit and mind that you're, you always want more? The paradigm of self-care has really changed for me in that every moment is a practice of self-care, whether it's a deep breath or a sigh, whether it's, you know, just placing my hand at the heart, whether it's moving my body a little bit in order to get comfortable or tuning into the fact that I might be parched and need to take a drink of water. And so I see life as an ongoing practice of self-care And I've been a long-term meditator. I've meditated since I was 16. And when I started to jump into a lot of research in that field, I began interviewing people who had meditated every day for over 10 years, oftentimes 30, 40 years, hadn't missed more than five days in a year. And when I asked them how often they meditated, they almost always would say, When am I not meditating? Mm -hmm. So when you are committed to practices, whether it's meditation or breath work or yoga or some other modality that allows you to be more present Mm -hmm. and more available, then every moment is self-care and every moment is practice. So true. And I think that's one of the things that I loved about your book was the story of how you started meditation. Would you mind sharing that? Oh, are you talking about the the hermit? Yes. (laughs) Oh, this is a this I this is just hilarious. So when I was a teenager, I took refuge in the community library. There weren't a lot of other places to go. And I had just gone through a really significant trauma. My first boyfriend was killed in a car accident. And so I went to the library to lose myself in the stories and in the books. And I came across this book that looked pretty intriguing. It was old and dusty and it had a picture of some old man with what looked like a diaper on. And it was a book about a Tibetan monk, a Tibetan lama. And so I began to read the book and it just drew me in. It was Um, you know those books that just change Mm -hmm. your life? And it was all about Buddhism. It was all about the magic of meditation. And so much of that practice just resonated for me through the story of his life. And so I began to meditate. I took refuge in Buddhism formally with Thay Situpa Rinpoche, the 15th Karmapa, which was really a big deal and started to follow what's called the Eightfold Path, which is, you know, just really being mindfully aware of 
your values, how you're living your life, thinking about the impact of what you're saying, the choices that you're making, the practices that you're incorporating into your life every day. So I started teaching meditation. That became a really important piece for me because when something changes your life significantly and helps you to heal, of course you want to share it. Yes, of course. So when I started teaching meditation, I thought, I need to find this book. And so I searched for it. I can I carried it with me for, gosh, my whole entire life was since I was 16. But I had just lost it. I, I think I gave it to my son to read and, and he couldn't find it. So I was able to find it in some old bookstore in Northern Carolina. They sent it to me and, um, and I started to look into the author. I found out that the author to this book wasn't a Tibetan monk at all. No. He was actually a plumber from Alberta. And there was all this controversy <laughs> around this guy. The, the Dalai Lama had come out to say, um, well, we really are thankful for the book that he wrote and all of the support to the Tibetan people. We just want to go on the record to say that he isn't a Tibetan Lama. And so it just goes to show that the people that change you may not be these big, revered teachers. They may be, a, you know, a plumber from Alberta. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. It's, it's one, it was one of my favorite parts of your book. I think we talked about that on the Instagram live that we did when your book came out. I just <laughs> thought it was so good. I think that there's a lot more conversation happening around meditation lately, thank God, because it's so, it's such an amazing tool that people can utilize and it's free. You can literally do it anywhere. I have a lot of people reach out asking about my own meditation practice. I usually send them to you because you're where I learned to meditate and your incredible 12-week meditation series. How would you recommend someone who's interested in meditation? Maybe they've done a couple guided meditations, but they want to take their practice deeper. How would you recommend doing that aside from the obvious of simply sitting with yourself? I think that people hear that and it seems so overwhelming and like they can't find the time. Their kids are running around. They have a demanding job. They have a million things happening. So what are your recommendations for people who are newer to the practice of meditation? Starting with Online recordings are, it's a great way to dip your toes in mm -hmm. and to get a sense of what meditation is about. And now there are, gosh, hundreds of thousands of recordings online. When I first started teaching meditation, maybe one or two people would put up their hand when I asked the question, have you meditated before? Wow. Yes. And so it's, there's been a profound increase because we're all suffering from stress, mm -hmm. a level of stress that's affecting our well-being exponentially. And we all want to feel better. And we, we all have a sense that meditation is an inscape to knowing ourselves well and lifting our consciousness. Mm -hmm. So that draws a lot of people in to feeling curious. It's also really intimidating mm -hmm. because when you get still and you begin to observe your own mind, you realize pretty quickly, this thing is out of control. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is unruly. It's like a wild elephant running down the village, just <laughs> wreaking havoc and destroying everything. And that is the unruliness of the undisciplined mind. So meditation is an invitation into creating a friendlier relationship with the mind and also putting it in its place 
The mind is only one part of our human experience, Mm -hmm. and we over-identify with the mind to such a degree that it's causing us tremendous suffering. So meditation is about really cultivating a different relationship and then also expanding your human experience. It also rewires the brain. So when you're listening to a recording, it's doing very specific things in terms of rewiring your brain system. Where the rubber really hits the road, and this was your question, how do you enter into silent practice? Mm -hmm. And I highly recommend silent practice, even if it's a couple of minutes to start and then turning on your recording. Yeah. So that's actually a great tip. Just doing a couple minutes on your own, say one, two, three, just to make it feel a bit more accessible and knowing you kind of have that recording to look forward to that you can ground into when you feel like you can't quote unquote control what's going on in your mind. Totally fine to have your training wheels. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fine. So when you begin, you enter into stillness. I mean, walking meditation is wonderful. But it's a little bit more challenging when you start to move the body. So we start with sitting meditation, elongate the spine. You don't have to sit in a cross-legged position. You can just sit on a chair and and move your back away from the rest and bring your chin slightly down, shine the heart up to the heavens and begin to breathe through your nose, bringing attention to the sensation of the breath. And the breath is the best anchor oftentimes for most people because it's always there. It's Mm -hmm. always available. It's so reliable. So if you can bring your attention to the natural in-breath and the natural out-breath again and again and again, the breath invites you into presence. It invites you into the moment. Now, you'll notice pretty quickly the mind will get distracted. It'll go off to your list or the all of the other things that you think that you should be doing. And so this is the second component. The first component was awareness. The second component is compassion. And that's the piece that most people forget. You compassionately escort your attention back to the breath. So instead of getting upset with yourself or criticizing, you just simply accept that the mind has gone off You might label it as thinking, Mm -hmm. thinking, and then just return to the breath again and again. Maybe it's just one breath Mm -hmm. from start to finish, and another after that, and another after that. You do what you can and and go easy Mm -hmm. because, you know, the mind has been doing what it's been doing for a long time. So that retraining also requires patience and consistency. That's so true. I think that you've done such an incredible job with your meditations on Insight Timer. I I did one before I got out of the car today. If there is one that you would recommend that people can start with in terms of the meditations, I know my favorites, self-compassion and awakening the heart to this day. Those are my absolute favorites. But is there one that you would recommend if people just want to try you out for the first time? Awakening the heart to this day is a lovely meditation because it really welcomes you into your own presence in and allows you to start the day in a very intentional way. It's a shorter meditation, so it's the very six minutes, right? It's yeah, it's, it's very accessible. I did that one in the car. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one is Tonglen. So Tonglen is a compassion practice where 
you learn how to meet the difficulty with an open heart mm-hmm. so that we're not turning away from the discomfort. And with Tonglen, you become aware of um, whatever challenge may be in front of you. And it may be just a sensation in the body, a sensation of tightness, of holding, of constriction. It may be emotional. Maybe you're feeling deeply sad or anxious, angry. Scared. Scared. So much fear. So much fear in our culture. We're a a culture of fear. Mm -hmm. So you can breathe in that fear. So instead of turning away from it, you draw the fear in fully. Mm -hmm. Take in the fear, breathe in the fear, and then as you exhale, send yourself relief. Send yourself a quality that will quell and dissolve that sensation of fear. So it may be compassion, ease, openness, spaciousness, a color, something that's supporting. So we're not turning away from the difficulty that is. That aversion actually expands our suffering. You're facing it, you're drawing it in, and in a sense, you're metabolizing it through the mind-body system. That was very powerful for me when we were leading up to Charlie's birth. I remember we I was doing a 30-minute unguided practice that you had coached me through and I had learned through your Monday meditation series. And I remember so vividly how healing Tonglen felt. And I did it at the end of my meditation. And I would do those things for myself. And then I would also do that for the world and for specific people in my life. I even did it for my husband. He's not as much of a meditator as I am, but I would try and feel for him, like the fear that I know he had and send love and compassion. And I would open my eyes and not that it dissolved and and faded away, but you almost like opened up a part of yourself where you're like, okay, like that's sitting in my body and I'm accepting of it and I'm not running away from it. And you're more compassionate to the people around you. So I think that one's a really, really powerful one that people can can utilize, especially if they're going through what feels like a very challenging time. You talked about something really important, which is expanding that intention to others who are having difficulty. And it really, it depersonalizes the difficulty that we face. Mm-hmm. So we get caught in our story all the time. All of the discursive kind of ideas and narratives and stories about our life run through our brain continuously throughout the day. But if you can just pause and think about all of the other people on this planet that may be in fear or that may also be worried about their child or who might be facing illness. And if you can send that intention towards healing and calm presence or whatever the quality is that's supporting Mm -hmm. you to them, then it depersonalizes the suffering that you're facing. And imagine everyone did that for a minute a day. Like what a different place the world would be if we all just sat for a minute and thought about sending that out. We would be in a very different situation. We would. I think about that a lot. It's honestly a big reason I come back to meditation is because it's like, do it for myself, but also do it for the world. And all of the changes within you just ripple out Yeah, to your sons, to your husband, to your friends and your community and through this podcast and everything that you do. And so gradually we begin 
to heal the soul of the planet through our own work. So powerful. When we first started working together, I came to you. I had just had Liam. I was experiencing some postpartum insomnia as well as other, you know, many things as we all do. But it was the first time in my life that I had gone to therapy. I had never gone to therapy growing up. I grew up in a very mindful household. My dad has meditated for as long as I can remember. I would find him like in the dining room in the dark. And I was like, dad, what are you doing, you weirdo? <laughs> That's amazing. It was, it, it, he's like an original green juicer, like probably for, I don't know if he was doing it when he was 16, but he, he's been doing it for a long time. And so I grew up in a very mindful household. That being said, therapy wasn't like a big part of that. And, you know, as many children and many people do, you go through a lot. And for me, it all kind of came to a head as I think it does for many when I had my first baby and I didn't really know how to take care of myself. I didn't really know how to ask other people for help and to take care of me. And I really needed help. I could not sleep. My son had just started sleeping through the night. I stopped sleeping. So I reached out to a few different moms I knew and luckily they led me to you. And obviously we've worked together ever since and I'm so, so grateful. But what I would love to talk about is becoming a new mom and generally the feelings that you feel, even if you're on kind of an even keeled playing field, the hormones, the stress, the pressure you put on yourself. But then beyond that, people experiencing things like, and I don't even want to put them in the same sentence because they're so big on their own, but postpartum Mm -hmm. depression, postpartum anxiety, even uh, perinatal depression while you are pregnant. I would love to chat about that a little bit as I know you're way more of an expert than myself and even just my personal experience, I like to share it, but I think it's so important to do the topics justice. It's really important that we talk about it because so often these postpartum conditions are being overlooked as part of motherhood. And um, we know a lot about postpartum depression, but we don't often talk about postpartum anxiety or postpartum PTSD or postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder. And, you know, the, the postpartum period is rife with change. And I would say the lack of support and the sleep deprivation are probably the key pieces here in terms of contributing to the mental health imbalance that women can face. And, you know, they do a far better job in developing countries mm-hmm. at supporting new moms. That first 40 days, I think the it's first, called, right? The first 40 days. So there are really key things that they do and put into place in order to make sure that moms are well cared for. So, and postpartum disorders are virtually non-existent in developing really? countries. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. So they recognize a distinct postpartum period. So when you talk about that 40 days, it's very true. They have rituals for caring for new moms. They have mandated rest. So you're mandated. You must rest. And how often do we we mandate rest in our culture? Um, And there's reprieve from social expectations. So if there are um, weddings and birthdays and holidays, moms don't often go to those in in the postpartum period. And then they have a lot of support in terms of the day-to-day. 
Mm-hmm. So the mothers and the aunts and the grandmothers and extended community are placing food on the doorstep. They're providing massage and not only the physical care, but the emotional care. And so babies well cared for, but moms well cared for. Which makes it a lot better to care for the baby. I think that's what people miss is like they think this is selfish and me trying to get sleep and asking my partner to watch the baby for a few hours. They think it's selfish and they should just power through and it's okay not to sleep. And I remember literally telling that to myself constantly. It's okay not to sleep. It's okay not to sleep. It's okay not to sleep. And that like actually created this insomnia and fear when it came to sleeping. So Where do you start if you're, let's say you're a new mom or you're someone that's about to have a baby and you recognize the challenges that you're maybe going to face, where do you start given that this is not something that is necessarily as prevalent in our society in North America? Well, I think it's really important to know about the symptoms so we can talk about those. And if symptoms are continuing for for longer than two weeks, give it two weeks If those symptoms aren't going away, then it's time to reach out for support. Because those, the two weeks, that's the baby blues where you're literally like, for me, I felt like I was every day around four, I would cry for like 30 minutes for the first two weeks. And I was told that was baby blues. That's kind of your hormones resetting. Allow yourself to cry. Allow those emotions to get out because you're processing, like you said, so much. I mean, your body going through birth, I would imagine, is a type of trauma in itself. Well, especially in the environments where we give birth. Right. (laughs) In the ways that we're asked to give birth. Right. So absolutely, yes. I mean, the hope is that you have a birthing experience that's really well-supported and and where anxiety is is low, but it is a shock to the body. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You haven't been through that process before. There's pain involved Mm -hmm. and, um, and fear is really natural. Um, And then, yeah, afterwards, add to that all of the massive changes in hormones and and the recovery process and sleep deprivation. Naturally, there's a big recovery period. But if you're not able to sleep when the baby is sleeping, if if you're having panic, if you're constantly worrying about schedules and whether you're doing things right or you're feeling guilt... On, and self-criticism on a continual basis, if you're feeling extreme ir- irritability that doesn't let up, if you're losing your appetite or uh, not able to eat. I mean, these are all the symptoms of anxiety and they can fall into emotional, physical, and uh, cognitive. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it isn't seen. So like, we don't see the racing mind. Mm-hmm. We don't see the extreme worry. In fact, you see what looks to the outside as someone who's very high functioning. Right. Everyone like, oh, what a super mom. You're like cooking and cleaning and coming out to all these things. And I mean, that was me for with Liam. I did it all. I like all the time and I went to all the events and did all the things. It was actually a huge relief to have my second baby during the pandemic because for three months, I actually didn't do anything. We didn't have visitors aside from our bubble. And despite going through having heart surgery on my second baby, 
my mental and physical health was exponentially better. Mm, So interesting. Which was so interesting. Because you could rest and you could just take the foot off the gas. And there was no guilt. There was no like, oh, sorry, I can't be there. It was like, no, of course I'm not going to go. It's the pandemic. (laughs) But for me, what I realized and that a lot based on my work with you is what I didn't do in the first time. And I don't blame myself because it's what I knew and it was who I was and that's all I had access to. So if people are experiencing those symptoms and or they want to protect themselves from going down that path, let's say if they're pregnant, what kind of, I don't want to say tips because that's so casual, but what are your recommendations for people experiencing those things? Asking for support, bringing in whoever you can to be on the ground with you Mm -hmm. is really important. And, you know, it's annoying for me to even say this because, of course, Focus on your sleep. If you can get to sleep, um, that will do wonders for your mental health. And um, speak with your doctor. But there are all kinds of natural supplements that can that can support your your sleep life, increasing B twelve and mm-hmm. GABA. And we love um, GABA. <laughs> I love a GABA. Right? <laughs> yeah. Nature's Ativan. Yeah. And let your doctor know what's going on, mm-hmm. and make sure that they listen. And if they don't hear you the first time, go back again and again and again. So that self-advocacy is really important. Write down ahead of time exactly what you're going through. That's a really good idea. bullet it out so that it's ready because you've got that five minutes with your GP and you want to make sure that you're covering all of it. And I think the other thing is sometimes you go to your appointment and you're having a good day. And you're like, well, I'm actually fine. So maybe I'll cancel the appointment or maybe I don't have to talk about this. And then sure enough, that night you're going through that same spiral again. I think the tip on sleep is so important. I didn't do that with Liam. With Charlie, my rest period was 12 to 1. I'm a structured person, as pretty much everyone here knows. And 12 to 1, I would like literally force myself to lie down in the day. Peter was off for six weeks with Charlie. And even if I didn't sleep, I would say 90% of the time I did fall asleep. And yes, I am one of those people who cannot nap. But just having that period of of the day devoted to rest made a humongous difference in the physical symptoms of postpartum for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so such an important tip. The other thing that is it's really important to keep in mind that giving birth can trigger old trauma. So being that open and going through such a, a process of being out of control, if you have any history of trauma, it can bring that forward front and center. Mm-hmm. So it can be a really good time to connect in with a therapist mm-hmm. and start to do that inner work, starting with resourcing and building, you know, tools for calming your nervous system. You know, some of the practices that we often talk about are breath work, mm-hmm. meditation, journal writing, and um, there's all kinds of somatic tools, progressive muscle relaxation that you can use to just reteach the body that it's safe. Mm -hmm. Um, But just sort of flag that if you're really struggling, it may be a whole lot of old stuff that's coming forward. And sometimes it's of your lifetime. It can be epigenetic. Right. So we now know that we carry at least eight lifetimes of emotional and psychological material from our 
heritage. It's a lot to work through. Right. <laughs> it's a so, lot of lifetimes. Wait a minute. Is this my postpartum or is yeah. it my grandmother's or my... Interesting. Whose postpartum is this? Yeah. And, and probably this is one of the first generations in Western civilization in North America to recognize it as something that people go through. Right. You know, it's a new, it's a new conversation, which is is wild. How many mothers that came before you in your lineage may have experienced postpartum and had no way of talking about it, acknowledging it, yeah. getting support for it? And I know that we only have a couple minutes left, but I know you have a new mama bundle on your website. Is that something that people can download and and check out to to give them tools? Or would you recommend One Woman Rise? Like what would be the best if they want to get their hands on something right away? Well, the mama bundle is really nice because it has a conscious mothering journal. So there's mm. a really nice journaling process. Um, it also has recordings of meditations that are specifically for moms and uh, with a lot of mantra work and mm. simple practices that are accessible for new moms because we only have so much bandwidth during that time. And then adding on all of these expectations of of self-care can kind of take you over your threshold yeah. of coping. Totally. So we want to be supportive rather than burdening. Yeah. With When Women Rise, that's helpful in that it addresses all areas of your being. Mm -hmm. So if sleep is a particularly difficult thing, then there's a whole chapter on that. There's a chapter on motherhood. There's a chapter on breath work and and also the QR codes, as you'd mentioned, yeah. where you can go straight to recordings because sometimes you're just not in a space where you can read through a book, yeah. but maybe you can listen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to start. So I always ask what my guests are obsessed with and what makes them feel their best. Hmm. Well, right now I'm obsessed with adventure, mm. with being in nature, with travel, with being out in the world. And I think in part it's because we were held inside for such a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And so there are times of retraction and there are times of expansion. And I'm also going through this transition where I'm no longer deep in that active day-to-day -day mothering. And so I'm really just so curious mm -hmm. and, um, and welcoming new places, people, cultures, experiences. Um, and I'm finding that deeply healing right now. I love that. That's so exciting. And to watch you in your expansion era has been just a gift. And where can people find you? Where do you want people to catch up with you? You can find me at my website, michellecambolas.com. If you are on Instagram and you want to connect there, that's a great place. I respond to everybody that asks me a question or sends me a direct message. Wow. It's... um. I love the conversation and can't help therapeutically that way, but I can direct you to resources and ask or answer uh, specific questions. And it's a great way to, to stay in touch. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And this has just been such a beautiful conversation. Thank I you really for appreciate you. <laughs> and for all the good work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for listening today. You can find me on Instagram at Sophie C. Collins or on my website at sophiecollins.com. And you can find my brand One Wednesday at one underscore Wednesday underscore shop on Instagram or onewednesdayshop.com. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend. And if you have time, leave a rating and review. I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks to Podfather Creative for editing and production.